If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to part two of my interview with former Social Security uh, Attorney Advisor Spencer Bishens. Spencer recently released a book entitled Social Security Disability Revealed, why it's so hard to access benefits and what you can do about it. And in part two of my discussion with Spencer, we talk about disability judges, who they are, where they come from, and what evidence they find most convincing. I urge you to pay particular attention to our discussion of work attempts after you file and why they're so important to judges and how you should position yourself as a disability claimant. We are all very fortunate to hear directly from an inside source like Spencer, about how the disability process works, and I hope you will find this conversation as enlightening as I have. There are statistics that show there are judges within any one hearing office. I mean, I'm here in, in Atlanta where I practice, you know, or when I, when I was practicing locally. Now, of course, everything's virtual, but, you know, you'd have the you know, Atlanta downtown hearing office. You have Judge A that was paying 70% of cases, Judge B paying 17% of cases. Yeah, And then they're literally, if you luck of the draw, you get Judge A, you win, you get Judge B, you lose. What What's going on? What, why? First of all, how is it possible you can have that level of, 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 of a difference between different judges? And what goes on in the mind of the, the judge that approves versus the judge that doesn't approve? It all comes down to who you're hiring. Um, Social Security and the hiring system has changed the last few years, but Social Security tends to hire judges in their 40s, 50s, because veterans get a hiring preference in the federal government. They actually hire a lot of former military, a lot of veterans. I've seen that. And those tend to be judges who are in very good physical shape. And if they have had mental health challenges, a lot of those are unrecognized. And I can't tell you how many times a judge in the hearing office, of course, when the claimant's listening, says to me as the decision writer, something like, I can work, why can't he? And sometimes it's the, the claimant is a vet with 100% service-connected disability rating. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to the judge saying, we have a medical opinion suggesting this person can't work. I think we should approve this case. And the judge will say something like, I'm a veteran and I can work. I think he can work. Denial. Wow. And so, yeah, I think part of it is who the judges, who the agency's hiring, um, but also people just have personalities, right? And people have different experiences. And I think that the judges who are older or have more lived experience or have medical conditions of their own or within their family tend to be a lot more sympathetic to claimants who have medical conditions and say, I'm hurt and in pain, I'm trying, I just can't do it. One judge that I wrote for, I wrote a lot of denials. He was a low payer, about a 20% payer. 
Then he experienced the medical condition. And when he came back to the office that next year, he was about a 50% payer. He just started believing claimants more, finding their testimony more credible and, and, and taking medical opinions from that, the person's treating sources. And instead of finding them non-persuasive, he started saying, yeah, it's actually consistent with what the claimant is saying. So maybe that is more persuasive than I previously thought. Let me ask you, Um, go ahead. But I just want to say one other thing. Yeah, yeah. The reason I wrote the book, and I think a key piece of information that I want to communicate to your listeners is, you, like you said, you can't choose if you get the 20% payer or the 80% payer. What I want people to understand is how to put together a case and a story so that it doesn't matter which of those judges you get, because you can't choose. And when you're building your medical record, when you're seeing your medical sources, when you're getting your tests, when you're asking your doctors for medical opinions, you want to know how to put together such an ironclad airtight case that when you, you're probably going to get denied at initial and recon, but when you do get to the hearing level, you want to be able to give this airtight case to a representative and have them, them go present it. And it doesn't matter which judge you get, they're going to present a case that's going to be so obvious that it should be paid that even that 20% judge says, I'm not, I'm not going to stake my reputation on this. I'm just going to pay it and move on. Oh, let's talk about, let's, let's go, let's go into detail with that. Obviously back pain is a big reason people file for disability. Yeah. It's the number one reason. Pardon? It's the number one reason. Number one reason, right. Across all security claims. So how do you make your back pain case ironclad? What are things? Yeah. So one of the things that the judges and decision right start with is why is there back pain? Is it some sudden injury, lots of construction and warehouse cases, right? Where something happens one day and the person can't work and maybe they even try and go back to work and can't do it. That kind of thing tends to make a claimant look more credible because, um, they were working until this traumatic thing happens. And then if they're trying to go back to work, that also makes them their claim that I want to work credible. Whereas if it's a chronic condition and it's slow over time, that's not to say that it's not also debilitating. It's just harder to prove that because you have such a longer period of time where you have to show that it's debilitating, right? Versus something right. happens right. and you're in the emergency incident. room. Yeah, incident. So the first thing is we start why it happened. And then the second thing is what treatment are you getting? And the third thing is, are you going back to work? And those things kind of happen simultaneously over time. We look for not only test results like an X-ray, an MRI. Unfortunately, some people need surgery, look for the surgical reports and see what that doctor says. And also what that doctor says six months, 12 months, 18 months later about how you're doing after the surgery. But then are you trying to go back to work? If your doctor says six months after your surgery, you're at maximum medical improvement and you're not trying to go back to work, that's less persuasive than someone who maybe isn't even at maximum improvement, who still needs physical therapy, and yet they went and tried to get a part-time job somewhere. Judges really like to see that you don't need disability and that you're trying to go back to work. And Maybe it seems backwards, but from my experience, even the low-paying judges, they're more likely to approve someone for disability if you show, or at least you try to show that you don't need it for very long, Mm -hmm. that it's going to be a temporary measure, that you're planning to be on disability a short amount of time, 
and eventually back to work, even if it wasn't the work you were doing before. Objective evidence is really important. Showing that you're trying to not need it is important. Getting treatment, physical therapy, whatever other recommended treatment, that is important. Um, Medical opinions, medical opinions, possibly the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But as I talk about in the book, and as you well know, a lot of doctors don't know what to put in a medical opinion. Right. They'll say something like, my patient is disabled or my patient can't work. And that doesn't count because only the judge gets to decide if right. you're disabled because that's a legal term. And so one of the things that I've tried to communicate to people so they can go communicate to the doctors is medical opinions are all about your functioning. It has to talk about your functioning, sit, stand, walk, lift, how many hours a day you even be at work. And then that functional opinion has to relate back to something objective. So a good example of medical opinion that would be really supportive of disability would be if an orthopedist or a surgeon said, my patient can't stand for more than one hour at a time and more than two hours a day and also can't sit for more than two hours in a day because that's only four hours total, right? Because of the moderate degeneration in the spine, as noted on his MRI. So it's functional limitations showing that you can't do a full eight-hour day. And the second thing, that that relates back to something objective. And, and that's like, that's the kind of evidence that even a low-paying judge looks at and says, that's not, I deny a lot of cases. I'm not going to touch that one, that one I'm paying, and I'll move on to the ones that have less clear, more nebulous evidence, and I'll focus on denying those. And, and I, and because I know in my practice, I'll use these functional capacity forms. Uh, some people call them RFC forms. Of course, RFC, residual functional capacity, that's a legal determination, but I'll still take the form and I'll kind of customize it based on the particular person's um, impairments, because really what you're asking the doctor to do is to translate uh, the medical evidence into specific vocational limitations, and that really speaks Social Security's language. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case, what to do if you're denied, how to avoid common mistakes, and my ever-popular How to Avoid Trick Questions from the Judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the Survival Kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay. Act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free Survival Kit. You know, you, you kind of touched on something to me, I think is really important. And that is the claimant's attitude about this. You know, I always tell my clients, you want to avoid having a quote attitude of entitlement. You want to be perceived as a fighter. You hate the idea of being disabled. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at with uh, the notion of going back to work because people ask me, should I try to go back to work? Like, absolutely try to go yeah. back to work. But of course you can also, if you earn too much, that can be a problem too. Um, right. where, where does that line lie in your opinion? And, and even beyond, if you have a claimant who's over 50 or 55, and again, this is why you have, have a rep who knows what they're doing, because mm-hmm. you have to know these grid rules, the grid which rules, I know right. you, 
what I'm talking about. Yeah. But the other, if you have a claimant who's over 55, for example, and used to do medium work, one of the best things that person can do when the judge says, can you work? One of the best things that person can do is say, yeah, I can work. I just can't bend very much. Or sure, I can lift up to 20 pounds. I just can't lift more than 20. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think like admitting I can work, that's got to be a problem, right? But actually, because of the grid rules, that person would still be found disabled. And I, I've seen cases where a real I could tell the person had a really good representative because they literally just admitted to the judge. Yeah. Sure, of course I can work, judge. It's just that I can only do sedentary work and I used to do medium work and that means I'm now disabled. And anytime you tell the judge you can work, you're trying to work, you want to work, like you said, not having that sense of entitlement, which is ironic because it's literally entitlement that you're supposed to right, be entitled right. to if you qualify. But a lot of judges don't want to hear. They want to, they, they see themselves as the guard, the personal guardians of the trust fund. Yeah. And so they only want to give benefits to people who aren't going to need them very long. Right. Whereas other judges say, I don't care about any of that. I'm just looking at the objective evidence. And, you know, if your doctor tells me you can't stand and walk and and you have an MRI. I'm not a doctor. I'll believe what the doctor says. Um, I've written for all, you know both kinds of judges. But yeah. yeah, like we talked about, because you never know who you're going to get. You really have, of course, as a representative, you have to prepare your clients. And if you're the claimant, you want to have a help you prepare to testify in a hostile environment with a judge who is going to question whether or not you're really disabled, whether you those you really are in that much pain, whether you are really that person who shows up in the medical record. And you have to know what's coming, be prepared to testify in that environment and be prepared to tell your story and defend your case and give yourself the best possible chance at having that judge approve you, even if that judge doesn't approve many people. Yeah, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, that you want to sort of, it seems, it seems contrary to say that, you know, saying I can work is actually can help you. It kind of reminds me, I had a case one time with a judge who, very low paying judge, and my client, and I, this wasn't anything I told him, it just happened. He, when he originally filed, he had had some shoulder issues. And the judge says, you're still having the shoulder issues. He said, you know what, judge, I really am not. You know, my shoulder is much better. That's not a problem. The judge's attitude completely changed that somebody would basically say, I'm not, I don't have the shoulder problem. It made him that much more credible, much more believable. So yeah, that's the sort of thing I now, you know, tell people if you allege disability and something is improved, tell the judge that. Yeah. And, then, and the other thing is someone like, has, let's say someone with back impairment and thing like anxiety, maybe they developed because they can go to work and can support family. Right. Um, I remember a case specifically where that the the back impairment improved a little bit through physical therapy such that the person could work part-time 10 hours a week like not a lot Mm -hmm. maybe even less five hours a week but that really improved their mental health and they told their counselor i don't think i need to come anymore and the judge said it looks like your anxiety got better and the person said yeah i don't need counseling anymore that's not why i can't work i can't work because of the back condition and the judge said, so you're not alleging a mental health impairment? And the person said, well, I mean, I still have anxiety, but it doesn't prevent me from working. That's not the problem. The problem is my back. Look at the MRI. That's yeah. why I can't work full time. 
And yeah, like you said, the judge's attitude changed and they said, I think I believe this person now because what they're telling me matches what I'm seeing in the medical records. And anytime you say something that matches what's in the medical records, even if maybe it's a statement against interest as far as disability claim, that bolsters your credibility. And it's so easy to lose credibility with an administrative law judge and kind of difficult sometimes to, to bolster your credibility. Yeah. So yeah, just, you know, as a concluding thought here, that's, that's why it's so important to know the rules, to know the procedures, to know what's going to happen at your hearing. And I explain all that in the book because none of it should come as a surprise. You have to know what's going to happen, what the next steps are in the process, what to talk to your rep about, what to do if you lose, how to appeal, what to do if you win your case and Social Security can and does take benefits away. And I cover all that in the book because I want this to be one-stop shop resource for people. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.